Imagine you're eight years old, playing a game of tag with your friends in Beijing. It's such fun playing with your friends. You barely notice the smell of smoke on your clothes and the smell of smoke in the air. You don't notice because it's always there. You stop for air because running hurts your lungs. You took off the N95 mask that your mother made you wear right after you got to school because it pinches your face and it looks a little weird. Panting for air, you taste the metallic PM 2.5 flavor on your tongue, like a weird seasoning. Every morning, you're excited to jump out of bed to go to school, looking up into the horizon, hoping to catch a glimpse of the beautiful mountain range. But more often than not, the mountains were hidden away by a sheet of gray. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Operation Climate, the podcast where we cover all the ins and outs of climate change and geoengineering. My name is Catherine. I'm a sophomore at Duke University. I'm young. I'm a 19-year-old in college, and like many other 19-year-olds, I have no clear idea of what I want my life to look like in the future. But even though I don't know where I want to live, what kind of job I want to get, I know I'm sure about some things. I value family above everything, and I want to start my own family in the future. I care about the climate crisis because I don't want my future kids to have to suffer because of choices that have been made before their generation. I want my kids to grow up healthy in a beautiful world where they can play outside. I don't want them to see these catastrophic effects of climate change affecting themselves or people far away from them. And I don't want my future kids to look at me and say, "Mom, why didn't your generation do enough?" Hi. My name is Natasha, and I'm a third-year engineering student at Duke. I grew up homeschooled in rural South Carolina, and my parents were huge nature lovers. So we spent just about every weekend hiking, kayaking, or doing some other outdoor activity. My siblings and I would spend all day in the woods, and then all evening going through our shelves of nature guides at home to find out the names of everything we saw. That's how I learned all about ecosystems. And how everything is connected, so even the slightest change can ripple throughout the entire system. I got interested in climate change when I realized that it had the power to put at risk everything that I loved, that extinction rates were skyrocketing, and that my children might grow up in a completely different world than I, one with drastically less beauty because of so many life forms would be lost. Hi, my name is Sergio, and I'm a second-year physics student at Duke University. My love for nature has always been evident throughout my entire life, from looking outside and playing with frogs, or collecting butterflies after school. I've always had a connection with the nature around me, and as I started learning more about the environment and ecosystems, I realized that climate change was going to affect that permanently. But more than that. It would affect people that are most vulnerable, such as low GDP countries that do not have the resources or infrastructure to defend themselves. Evermore, the ocean and so many ecosystems are already taking massive changes due to climate change, and I'd like to do something about that. My name is Matthew, and I'm a freshman here at Duke University. And ever since seventh grade summer. At Boy Scout camp, I took the Weather Merit badge, and I remember cloud watching in the parade field and just 
looking up and in awe of what's up there and how small we are and how big of a world we live in. And ever since it's just caught a passion for me for the climate and the safeguard of the climate. Now we know that the climate is changing and changing for the worse. So I want to be part of the solution and I want to show those around me that we can do our individual parts to make a larger collective difference. Hi, my name is Roseanne and I'm a second year master's student here at Duke University studying environmental management. The story you just heard earlier was my childhood growing up in Beijing. As I continue to learn more about climate change, I realize that pollution is just the tip of the iceberg. In undergrad, I spent a lot of time studying marine biology underwater with all the who's it's and what's it galore. Instead of thingamabobs, however, I saw the incredibly saddening sight of bleaching corals turned a ghastly white. This is another symptom of climate change. Colorful corals turned white from the warming oceans and increased acidification. I've decided to pursue the environmental field and work to increase climate action because we are in a climate crisis threatening not only our health and safety, but also the future generations to come. So what exactly is climate change and is there anything we can do about it? Climate change is the change in the global average temperatures, which means the actual temperature change in each country may be different. Some countries may already have warmed by two degrees Celsius, Others may have warmed by 0.5 degrees Celsius. Okay, but how does this actually happen? How does a planet just warm? You're talking about something called the greenhouse effect. Greenhouse gases, like carbon dioxide, create this blanket of sorts up in the atmosphere. Imagine covering yourself with a blanket. As your body gives off heat, the fibers in the blanket absorb and give off some of that energy. When they give off that energy, the next layer of blanket fibers warms, and this process is repeated until that energy reaches the outermost blanket fibers and is lost to the room. The more blankets you put on, the more heat energy gets trapped. You're the earth in this analogy. Blankets are greenhouse gases, and your room is space. Okay, well, I have some questions on news that I've heard a lot. Um, so I always hear this talk on below two degrees. Didn't you just say that the Earth warms differently? Well, yes. Different parts of the Earth are warming at different rates. But the below two degrees you're referring to is the central goal of the Paris Agreement. So who formed this agreement and why is it constantly on the news? Well, in 2015, a whole bunch of countries part of the United Nations Framework Conventions on Climate Change came together to talk about what we should do to combat climate change and move forward towards a sustainable, low-carbon future. The risks that we would see from climate change would have much greater chances of actually happening the more that the globe warms. So, so they all decided that we should limit global average temperatures rise to 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures. So if any bright individual holds up a snowball and uses it as proof that climate change isn't happening, just tell them that. <laughs> okay, and speaking of proof, is there even science behind all of this nonsense? Well, absolutely. Scientifically, there's no doubt that the climate is changing, 
And the reason that it's changing so fast is because of human activity. How do we know that? Well, virtually all of the scientific community agrees that the observed increase in global average temperature is caused by human activity. Differences in reporting on this are only on how much warming has already happened and how much more warming we can anticipate. Just to add on to that, policymakers and governments aren't just making up this temperature goal of 2 degrees. The temperature goals were standardized by the climate science body behind the Paris Agreement, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC for short. We also see evidence of climate change and environmental degradation almost every day. You see these cities like Los Angeles and Beijing have smog so thick that you can't see the tops of buildings. And remember that time when Venice had its worst flooding in 50 years and the regional council's office got flooded minutes after the council rejected a climate action plan? And I'm sure almost everyone heard about the devastating bushfires in Australia, where at least 28 people have died, 3,000 homes have been destroyed, and about a billion animals have been affected. By the way, that crisis is still going on. Oh, wow. All of these news headlines are so depressing. Is there any hope? Is there anything that we can do to stop this climate crisis? Well, that's a great question. A lot of experts have said that we need new climate policies. We need new energy systems and a new way of consuming the goods we see every day. New everyday habits, and the list goes on. But do you think that's enough? I mean, mitigation is obviously a good thing, but are we doing enough fast enough? That's another really great question, and honestly, I don't know. A lot of scientists have created scientific models that predict what will happen on Earth if we see, say, two or four degrees of global warming. Some of the effects are catastrophic, but we can never be exactly sure what will happen and when. Nonetheless, it's definitely good to do as much as we can to prevent those catastrophic events. We are looking more and more like we won't meet the carbon reduction goals from the Paris Agreement. The Amazon, California, and the Australian bush is burning. Coral is bleaching, killing its own ecosystems and the human societies who live because of them. Drought has been thought of being one of the reasons for unrest in the Arabian Peninsula, Air pollution is the direct cause of one of every six deaths across the globe, and yet the wells keep siphoning oil, coal, and natural gas. The end is not in sight, but a piece of the solution may lie in geoengineering. Tune in to the next podcast to see how we might start to see an end to this global crisis. Thanks so much for tuning in to Operation Climate. My name is Catherine, and along with Matthew, Natasha, Roseanne, and Sergio, we brought this podcast to you as part of a Bass Connections research project at Duke University. Visit Bass Connections at Duke online to learn more.